Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Hey, friends, and welcome to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivy podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm so glad you're here. Each week on this show, I invite a friend to join me, and we chat about the big things in life, the little things in life, and everything in between. Hey, friends, and welcome to the Happy Hour. Today's the last Friday in May, and that excites me for a lot of reasons. Number one... My kids are out of school next week, which means we are almost into summer, and I love summer. It's just slower. We have fun. We have fun Fridays at the Ivy House. I'm just super excited about it. In fact, next Friday is our first fun Friday, and I'll have to let you know what we do. Guys, I'm super excited about today's show, but I want to tell you about something real quick. If you have not joined our 2021 Marriage Challenge, today is the day to do that. The reason today is the day to do that is because we send an email out to our Marriage Challenge peeps on the first day of every month, and June 1st is right around the corner. We would love for you to get this month's challenge, which is a conversation that my husband Aaron and I had with our friends Dave and Ann Wilson about leadership within marriage. Such a great conversation, such a needed conversation. And when you sign up, it's completely free. We send you an email at the beginning of every month with the conversation, with some questions for you and your spouse to talk about over a date night and some more resources that we think would also be helpful for you in your marriage journey. We believe that marriage is not a destination that you show up and then you've arrived. It's something you work at all the time. In fact, next month, Aaron and I will celebrate 20 years and we love marriage and we believe it is something that takes a lot of time and a lot of investment. And so this is just one resource we want to give you to help you. Okay, friends, today on the podcast, I am sitting down and chatting with Michael W. Smith. Yes, the Michael W. Smith, the multi-platinum recording artist who's won three Grammys and 45 Doves and so many other things. He has a new book that just came out in May called The Way of the Father, Lessons from My Dad, Truths About God. Perfect, just in time for Father's Day this next month in June. In fact, if you go to my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Jamie Ivey, we have an exclusive video with content from today's show that is not on the podcast. I asked Michael to give all the dads out there a little bit of encouragement. And so he did that. You're going to want to check that out. All right, friends, here's my conversation with Michael W. Smith. Michael W. Smith, welcome to the happy hour. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to have you on here. I want to tell you this. I was recently reminded of how amazing you are. Would you like me to tell you how? No. <laughs> no. Are you ready? Whatever. I have a 13-year-old daughter, oh, okay. and she was watching TV in the game room, and I hear these songs that I think to myself, I know these songs from years and years and years ago. What could she possibly be watching? And so she comes in, and she's like, I forget about it. And then like the next day, she's like singing all these songs that I knew forever ago, right? And I'm like, Baby girl, how do you know these songs that you're singing? And she's like, oh, I've been watching this new show on Netflix. And she was jamming to one of your songs. And I was like, you are listening to the classics. And so how fun is that for you? It was great. I really love the movie. I think they did a great job. You know, I did know if I would like it because it's a camp movie and cheesy and all that. But it, it reminds me so much of a camp that I've gone to for the last 35, 36 years called Canna Cup Camp. 
in Missouri. You know, they got the blob and they got all the stuff that I've, you know, and I never went as a kid. I wish I'd never heard of Canacuck, but it reminded me so much of camp. And then how they took these songs and reimagined these songs. And here you got the song that was a hit place in this world, which was a, you know, a hit song around the world. And there's a bunch of these kids who've never heard that song before. And so it almost kind of got reintroduced. What year did that song come out? 1990. Okay. Go West Show Man record. Yeah. I love that so much. Fun fact about me, Michael, is I was a counselor at Canacuck. So I'm a big fan Were of Canacuck. Really? Yeah. yeah. I always said I wish I would have found Canacuck sooner because I would have done it forever. But I was a counselor there in 2000 at okay. K-Country. Yep. So I love the Camp Live as well, which is why I thought it was so fun that my daughter's story was watching that because we love camp and the way that it just impacts kids. And to think that these songs that were impactful to me are now being impactful to her as well. Well, I'm so excited to have you here. And you have a new book that is just released. It's called The Way of the Father, Lessons from My Dad, Truths About God. And I've got my hands on it and read some of the chapters. And I love stories so much and the way that you've taken stories about your own dad and then woven in the ways that we can relate that to our Heavenly Father is something that is so beautiful. And I would love to hear you just talk about what even brought on the idea to write this book. Well, I've known honestly, for years that I would write a book about my dad. Um, I mean, especially as he just continued to be consistent, consistent, consistent. He never fell off the cliff. I mean, he had his faults. I just didn't see very many of them. Yeah. I don't know if I mentioned in the book or not, but I think the only time I ever saw him get mad was when my songs didn't go number one. And (laughs) he couldn't figure that out. You know, all my songs can't go number one. And he would say things like, well, why not, son? You're the best. What you know? a dad. I love it. So it just edified me all growing up. Even as an aspiring baseball player, I was a jock and a musician. I thought I could play for the Reds. I was a pretty good ball player because my dad was a good ball player. And I had good eye hand coordination and I was pretty quick. And, you know, and then that all ended at 15 and music was going to become the part of the fabric of my life. And then my dad becomes my PR agent and starts telling everybody how great I am, which is a little <laughs> embarrassing. Yeah. But he was just, what an extraordinary man. And um, when he got sick in 2011, he was diagnosed with dementia. And, you know, that was a bit of a sobering day uh, when I started to see that. That's when I began to start kind of sort of making notes in my head and my heart that I don't want to forget all these amazing stories about my dad. And so I started kind of collecting those things in my head. And um, and I knew that, and I just didn't, and obviously passed, went to heaven in November of 15. And this just felt like the right time to do it. I obviously needed a year or two to sort of process and grieve. And, and I kept thinking, do I write it? Do I write it? Do I write it? And then, you know, we started thinking about it at the beginning of 20. And obviously with a pandemic and all that sort of thing, it was kind of the really good timing, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> spent a lot of time at home uh-huh. and uh, I'm really excited about it. I, I do love the stories about my dad and they're endearing and how we take that and sort of equate it to the father heart of God. I always say my dad was the kindest man I've ever met in my life who happened to be my dad. And he showed me a little bit of what God's like. I think that's beautiful. And I know a lot of people who unfortunately don't have the same experience with you with an earthly father, right. but what you do and articulate so well in the book is how you used your dad's example of his faithfulness and his unconditional love and his presence in your life and the way that he helps you become the man that you are. And you constantly pointed that back to our Heavenly Father. 
And I think that's so important and the way that you did it is so beautiful. I'd love to talk about a couple of things that stood out to me that I really loved. In one of the chapters, you talk about how when you left to go off uh, to college, you did college for a year and a half, and then you headed to Nashville. And you had a moment where you kind of surrendered your life to the Lord once you got to Nashville and kind of walked through a little prodigal son season. Can you talk through just how your dad loved you through that and what that was like? maybe going off to Nashville in the middle of that season and then coming out on the other side with the way your dad was towards you. I had an encounter with the Lord when I was 10 and then, you know, I just wandered off. It's just, I look back on it and still it kind of blows my mind how many bad choices I made and it almost cost me my life, but it was four years of wandering in the desert. And, but my dad, my mom and dad, they never raised their voice at me. They never kicked me out of the house. It was, I think my dad, you know, he came from that great generation of, you know, when you were sick, you went to work, uh-huh. you know, yeah. and, but there were certain things that was hard to talk about, you know, sex or this, or, or he's afraid to say something about, you know, he probably should have been more stricter on me, Yeah. but he didn't want to push me away. You know, my, felt like almost my mom was more strict on me than my dad, Yeah. but he just didn't want to say anything that might push me further away from the Lord, you know? So I just remember that one time that I'd come home from Nashville to get some money and be with my mom and dad for a few days. And we went on the porch and I knew he wanted to talk to me. And he just didn't know what to say. And he just, all he says was, son, you got to pull it together. You got to pull it together. You know? And I just remember just, I would just felt so small and it, shame. Yes. But more than anything, I was hurting my mom and dad. And, and I knew that was not my destiny. So to me, it was a friendly reminder from my dad. So they were gentle. They were, amazing. I wouldn't be having this conversation with you if it hadn't been for the prayers of my mom and dad. Wow. So when you went to Nashville, you didn't set off to write Christian music and be a a Christian singer, or did you? I kind of did, but how do you do that and live the lifestyle? It doesn't quite really go together. I just felt like I was supposed to go to start getting my songs, but all my contacts were people that were in Christian music world, you know? Yeah. But yeah, I wrote a lot of bad songs those first few years. Do you remember what it was that caused you to kind of have this moment of, I don't want to be, you know, to use that prodigal son analogy that Jesus uses in the scripture. I don't want to be living this life. I want to go back home to my father. Do you remember that time, what that was? Well, I felt that way for the last year of that from probably for a good year or at least all of 1979. I was depressed. I mean, I pray that God would do whatever he had to do. I'd had a near drug overdose in 78. And then that's when I began to pray that God would do whatever he had to do to get my attention. So I became depressed and I've never been depressed in my life. You know, yeah. I just always, Hey, I'm happy guy. Hey, here we go. And it's like to feel I hit rock bottom, but I prayed for it. And that's what it takes for a lot of people who have addictions or in the middle of some things they shouldn't be in the middle of. And you keep fighting it and in denial you have to hit rock bottom. And I hit rock bottom and I had a nervous breakdown. That's what I call it. I never went to the doctor, but literally convulsed and shook and cried for three hours on my linoleum kitchen floor in Nashville, Tennessee. And at 3.30 in the morning, I mean, it was right out of a movie that God was laying on the floor with his arm around. And uh, I woke up and I haven't been the same since. Wow. That was 40 and a half years ago. That is <laughs> no, amazing. No, 41 and a half, yeah. So. Wow. I just keep thinking, man, it is like that story of the prodigal son of that running towards you when you are 
sometimes unwilling and to see the faithfulness of God on your life and your parents and how they raised you. You know, writing this book about thinking about all these stories about your dad, I'm sure that it was maybe helpful in the grief since your dad passed away just a handful of years ago. But I often wonder too, you have grown children and grandchildren, but how has reflecting back on your dad's life and his influence on you, how has it made you think about your own influence on your kids and grandkids? Well, I think I learned how to father my children because watching my dad father me and my sister. And, you know, I even find myself doing things that my dad did, my mannerisms. I'll do something with my kids and going, oh my gosh, that's my dad. It's, <laughs> it's kind of like Twilight Zone yeah. a little bit, you know. And then to watch videos of me and all of a sudden I'll turn a certain way and, all of a sudden, and I look like my dad. <laughs> and then I'll watch another video and I turn to the right and I'm going, oh my gosh, that's my son. I look like my son. It's yeah. just, it's crazy how that works. But more than anything, I think I learned how to, whatever good I did fathering wise, I really did learn from my dad, how he treated my mom and how he treated my sister Kim and I, and then how he treated his community and his friends. And he just was a servant. He just served people. That's all he did was just serve, serve, serve. And I think that was a big contribution into my life from my dad. And so I want to be more like that. I think he's was better at it than I am, but I'm, I think I'm still in the process. And I think if you talk to my kids, obviously I didn't do everything right, but I think if you talk to my kids, I think they would tell you they were more important to me than my career. How did you make sure that was true? How did you do that? We laid down a lot of laws. We lay, you know, I remember Deb and I talking, I guess I'd just come off the Amy Grant tours with the big tours. Well, age to age, straight ahead tour. And then, you know, we started kind of paying attention to, celebrities in Hollywood and, you know, they're, oh yeah, they're getting divorced and they're getting divorced and da, da, da. It's just rampant, you know? And so in that world of the entertainment world and you're, you want to work hard, but you're tempted and all of a sudden you get sucked into it and you're spending two, 300 days on the road. That doesn't work with the family. You know, it just, at least for me, I said, there's no way. So we just laid down rules going, we thought there's a better chance of us being a casualty than not. So we're going to make up our mind. We're not going to be a casualty. Wow. You were proactive so with what you needed to do. Proactive and we're going to work. I'm not going to be home for my family more than two weeks ever. I'll lay that rule down and then we'll take sabbaticals and I'll just be home for six months. And then the big one was, you know, when the career really did take off, how do I get home as much as possible? So for 13 years, so many times I would walk off stage, get in the car and go get in a plane and land at midnight, and I'm driving carpool the next day. I did that for 13 years. And I don't regret it, don't care how much it cost. It was worth it because of my kids. When do you think your kids first realized that their dad was Michael W. Smith? The Michael W. Smith that I know. Like You and I have never met, but I know who Michael W. Smith is. When do you think your kids yeah. realized that? Well, Ryan was born in 83, so probably, probably more like in the 90s, probably, when yeah. Place in the Squirrel was a hit, and... You know, go wish a man, change your world and the big tours and them coming out. And, and I think they were going, oh, my gosh, that's my dad. <laughs> so, but, you know, I just tried to deflate that. I mean, to me, I, you know, I'm a pretty normal guy. I mean, I live a really normal life, but I live an extraordinary life as well of what I get to do. Like I just got back from Italy being with Andrea Bocelli filming the TV special. I mean, mm-hmm. how crazy yeah, is that? Yeah, you're like, this you know? is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. But I never talk about that at home. You know, I mean, I, I say, hey, my book's out. They're all excited. I'm signing my books and they're all excited about yeah. that. And they're excited about when a new record comes out. But I never like to talk about myself. I want to talk about 
like my oldest son, right? So what's going on with the new film? You get ready to start filming a new movie and, you know, how the kids, yeah. it's all that kind of thing. It's all about them. I don't yeah. want to talk about me. There's enough about me already. And that's the last <laughs> thing I want to do. So. You tell a story in the book, which I just love so much about when you met your wife, Debbie. Yes. And I was dying laughing because I could just picture you running around wherever you were at whatever studio. So how long have you guys been married? And can you tell us like, do the math for me because I read the book and I think you met and were married in like a year or something like that. Yeah, so- it's really fast. I was at a Benson Record Company in Nashville and I had no interest in relationships. I'd just gotten my first songwriting contract. I was writing songs 14 hours a day. I thought I'd died and gone to heaven. I, was, <laughs> I didn't have to wait tables. I was, and it was only 200 bucks a week. Right. I could pay the bills. I could do it. Is this on the other side of that moment on your floor in your kitchen? Oh, yes. Okay. So this it. is just even a little over a year and a half after that. Okay. That's how fast it was. So it was, Mar- it was um, I think it was April of uh, 81 that I was sitting upstairs on the third floor waiting for this meeting with the president of Benson Records to talk to him about getting a record deal. And she walked by, five foot three, hundred pounds. Who was that? You know, five minutes later, she walks back by and I ran and found a phone and called my mom. <laughs> so funny. And I said, Mom, she's not gonna believe it. I'm talking a hundred miles an hour. I go, Mom, she's amazing. She's my soulmate. You're just gonna you're gonna love her. She is amazing. And this like some of mom says, What so son, what's her name? I said, I don't know. I don't know her name. So my mom thought I'd flipped out. Yeah. I said, Mom, I'll call you back later. And then I found my way down to a warehouse. She was in the restroom. I hung out beside the women's restroom until she walked out and I introduced myself. We went out three days later, engaged three and a half weeks later, and married four months later. So this September, we will celebrate 40 years. Congratulations. Thank you. That's so great. It's so great. I love that. One of the things you also talk about in your book is called a profound presence. And you've had the, like you said, you're just a regular guy, but you had some incredible experiences in your lifetime. And some of them have been working with some really great people like both um, President Bush's, Charlie Daniels, Billy Graham, Bono. And you said something in there. Oh, I was going to read it out of the book. But it said something about the you talked about a difference between celebrity and presence. And I think we live in a culture right now where everyone's kind of yearning for to be a celebrity and they feel like a celebrity will get them what they need. And you talk about Everyone I just listed could be a celebrity, but you talked about the times you spent with them and the presence that they gave you and how that mattered more. Can you talk a little bit about the culture that we see today of people desiring that celebrity-ness, but you see that the presence is what matters. And what does that mean, even in your relationship with your friends or even what you try to bring to the world with your presence and not just what someone would call like a celebrity? Well, celebrity will come and go. And... If you sell a million records one time, then the next time you want to sell more than five, you have to sell 10. And it's a never-ending cycle that feeds this ego that is destructive. I really believe that. And so to me, I learned about being your presence, but being present for my dad. And my dad was, he was sort of a force to be reckoned with, but he was not egotistical. He just was, it was always about the other person. When you walked in the room, went, oh my gosh, there's my dad, you know. And so I just learned from him to be present wherever I was in whatever circumstance. So to me, being with, for example, President Bush, which I was in the White House more times than I can even tell you, being with him and being with the orphan in Africa was completely the same for me. Obviously, someone who's, you know, the 
most powerful man in the world yeah. and somebody who's very poor, there was not any difference in the way I would interact with different people. So it's, what are you doing with your life? You're going to do either one of two things. You're going to be a rock star or you're going to give yourself away. You know, what do you do with your platform? If you are successful, I think we're all called to greatness, but I think you, what do you do with that success? And to me, some of the happiest people I know are people who give themselves away, you know, and if you get lots of money, they give lots of money away. Great. But what's the sacrifice? Sometimes it's easy if you're rich to give a lot of money away because you can afford to give it away. Right. What costs you? What's it cost you? So I think that's key. So I don't look at myself as a celebrity. A lot of other people do, and I'm fine with it. It's just, it is what it is. It is what it is. Yes. But I'm not going to, I don't rest on that as some sort of security blanket for me at all. Well, I think, and you can look around, like you even talked about how you and Debbie early on were like, hey, we're going to put some boundaries up because you yeah. could see that that celebrity title was not going to bring someone it's not going to fill the holes in their heart. It's not going to bring them happiness because right. it, like you said, it's fleeting. It can go away. But yeah. that ability to be present with your spouse, with your kids, with your family, that is something that is that will last way longer than an amazing album or book or movie or whatever it might be. Right. And I think that can be confusing for young people these days because they would rather have that immediate gratification of right. being known to the public versus even being known by their people. Right. Well, and I think the here the real key to which changes everything is, you know, we all want to be loved. We all want to be appreciated. You know, it's just sort of our human nature. Really, that's the only thing that really matters is what he feels about you. And when you get this whole download of of gosh, he not only loves me, but he really likes me, and he's very fond of me. You don't, as you grow in that faith and grow in that maturity, you don't really. You get to a point where you really don't care what people think. One of my greatest goals in life is that I'll never, ever be offended by anyone ever again. What a freeing place that would be. And I think I'm getting there, actually. You know, I think if somebody wrote an awful review of my book back in the day, I would have like, been crushed. Yeah. Now I think I would go, that's just their opinion. It's just their opinion. I don't think it would faze me. So, and then I well, think- How did you, you get there? That's what I want to know. I mean- I think you start to go, it's not about you. And then you start to really, really, really believe that this book, I'm looking at a Bible, that this yeah. is true. And all the promises God are true. And when you start to fully believe that, going, oh my gosh, that thing is true, what it says about me, then you want to go, you know, we're supposed to be a voice for those who don't have a voice and stand up for justice. You want to, you want rivers of justice to roll like a waterfall. I love that out of the Passion Translation. We have the ability to do that. And sorry for the long answer, but I yeah, love the but, long answer. Okay. I love it. I love it. If you don't know it, guys, I'm a Texas girl through and through. I've lived here most of my life. I was born here and I love traveling. Here's why I love traveling throughout Texas, because it has a vast landscape of cultures, regions, destinations, and activities, which means there's an infinite number of different travel experiences. And no two travelers are exactly alike. And it means that no two trips should be either. If you're a beach person, well, you can have fun under the sun with Texas's 350 miles of coastline. If you're more of a rugged vacation type, there are campgrounds, hiking trails, and state parks galore. And foodies cannot get enough of Texas's world-famous barbecue and Tex-Mex. 
Enjoy live music. Visit internationally recognized art museums and check out thrilling cowboy experiences. And now Travel Texas offers a one of a kind online trip builder that allows users to generate a custom visually led trip matched to their unique interest. Guys, come visit my state. Visit TravelTexas.com slash get your own to get the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours. That's TravelTexas.com slash get your own. You guys, in January of 2024, I made a commitment to myself. I wanted to get stronger, which meant I needed to get in the gym, which means I needed to move my body in different ways. You guys know I love to walk. Well, it's spring, and spring is the best time for us to start a new workout routine. It's our yearly collective warm-up, and Peloton is here for everyone's yearly warm-up. This is the best time to get into a good rhythm, to tap into your power, and build towards your summer you. I love my Peloton. It accommodates to my schedule with a variety of class links to choose from. I can choose a 30-minute class. I can choose a 45-minute class. If you only have five minutes, there's literally a class to get you moving your body in five minutes. Peloton has a range of class types fit for every goal and every mood. There are classes if you want to hear country music, if you want to hear uh, rock, if you want to go back to the 80s. If you can't run, take a walking class. Need some grounding? Try yoga. If you want to level up, go for their Pilates or HIIT workouts. Here's what I love is that you can move at your own pace. And that is what I'm learning that my body needs right now. It needs to move at its own pace. Peloton makes the process easier with personalized recommendations and guided programs that take all the guesswork out of working out. You guys, we think about so many things during the day. Let's take the guesswork out. Let's jump right in and let's keep our fitness journey fresh every single day. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. I personally love a good 45-minute hip-hop class. It gets me moving. It gets me excited. It's my favorite genre of music. Just ask my kids. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. That's OnePeloton.com. Speaking of that, you've done a lot of work, you know, with the HIV AIDS and orphans and Compassion International, which I'm a fan of as well. Can you tell me even how you started to realize, hey, I have this ability to partner and do this stuff and why this part of, you know, the vulnerable population of kids and just how has God woven that into your family story of giving back in that way? Well, we just felt like, well, first of all, I think if I hadn't been successful, I don't know if I would have had the ability to be a, maybe a leading figure into sharing how, just an average family can really make mm-hmm. a difference in a child's life, you know? Yeah. So when you, I guess when you're successful, then maybe your songs have changed people's lives and they just kind of want to hear what you have to say. It's, it's like, yeah. you know, too much is given, much is required. Mm-hmm. It's this big responsibility. Yeah. You've been given all this stuff. What are you going to do with it? Right. Well, you sure don't want to blow it. Yeah. And again, I go back to the rock star thing. You're going to yeah. do that. Or are you going to, I think that's the funnest part about my job is the platform. And so, I got involved in Compassion when I saw a project, was blown away, and started sponsoring kids and started telling people at all my concerts, going, you know what, you can sponsor kids, not very much money, you know, do it as a family, pull some friends together. And I don't know anybody who has regretted not sponsoring a kid. So it not only changes the kid's life, but it changes the fa- the sponsor's too. Yeah, so yeah. then you get to meet those kids at some point. A lot of her sponsors got to meet their kids. Oh, 
It's amazing. It is. So. We've met all of our kids through Compassion, and it is such it's such a joy. Yes, yes, yes. Love We're taking it. trips with Compassion, and it's such a joy. Okay, well, I want to ask you this because a lot of people are thinking, well, I want to make differences, but I don't have the platform that Michael has. And so I love the way that you talk about that platform because you are you talk about it as in like, wow, look what God's given me. I'm going to do something great with it. And, and that's so beautiful. But for the person who's thinking, I don't have that, what does it look like for me to be a part of justice issues around the world? What's your encouragement to them? I think you got to change your block. Mm. Tell me what you mean. Just change your neighborhood. Like, you know, there's so much need. I mean, there's not a lack of need. Right. It's like you can't find something. It's on every corner. Yeah. There's somebody out there that needs a hug. There's somebody out there that needs a home-cooked meal. There's a homeless person who needs to be told they're loved. You know, it's like you can do these random acts of kindness is what I would love to call it every single day of your life, you know. Just go do something for somebody, you know, and you'll never know. You plant a seed like that and start doing stuff like that is very, very, very fulfilling. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk music for a second, if that's okay. Okay. Yep. These are like the questions people ask you and you think, let's be like, ask me which my favorite kid is, but I'm going to ask you anyways. Okay. But what are some of the most favorite songs you have? And do you have like a great story about writing any of them? Well, all my favorite songs that I've written are the brand new ones that nobody's heard. <laughs> I really love this new song called Sing Again that I wrote for the Bocelli Project. Hopefully the world will when get When do we hear get to hear soon. it? Hopefully in the next two, three months. So okay. okay. Working on it. You know, I never get wrote, I'm just, I'll never get right in place in this world. I mean. Where were you? How'd you write it? Tell me I was about in it. my basement. I was just, I'd gotten a letter from a girl who was suicidal and this was struggling and I think in her letter, she says, I'm just trying to find my place in this world. I wrote that music like in five minutes, you know, wow. just, there's so many changes in it. Oh my gosh, just too many changes, but whatever. It, it is what it is. Yeah. But I'll never forget writing that. All is Well might be my favorite song I've written. And I wrote that in three and a half minutes, three and a half. Why minutes. your favorite? I think there's something magical about it. There's something that just still makes me do this a little bit. Uh-huh. The hair are raised on my arm and my neck, and especially seeing it at Christmas time with a 65 piece orchestra playing behind you. Everything sounds kind great of, like that. <laughs> <laughs> kind of fun. Yeah. And then I'll never forget writing Agnew's Day for the Go West Showman record. That was a last minute edition. I just kind of hear you got all these songs like Go West and For mm-hmm. You and Place in This World. And then I'm getting ready to turn the record in, and I wrote, I just start broke into this da 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 da. And I just all of a sudden going, Wow, where did that come from? And then I felt so compelled to put it on for it to be the last song on the Go West Show Man record. So I went to New York. I recorded an orchestra and the American Boy Choir. And everybody That's thinks Hog News Day is kind of a new song. It was uh-huh. on the worship. It was on the worship record in 2001. It actually was released 11 <laughs> years earlier. Yeah. That's the beauty of things like you know a new generation coming up and hearing new songs. You're like, oh, I knew this song way back when. So. The song you mentioned earlier, is that your newest project that you got working on or anything else you have up your sleeve? Well, I'm excited about the Bocelli thing. That was awesome. You know, I rode horses with him for 16 miles. I've not been that sore in decades. Oh, my gosh. But I did train, and it was beautiful. It was, Wait, was this for like a, a video shoot or something? What was the six? It's a TV special that Andre is it's called The Journey. And it's, okay. It's a pilgrimage. It's just sort of all faith-driven. And I got asked to go do it, and I did it. So I'm excited about that. So that's probably coming out this fall. I think the big thing, other than the book, I'm really excited about the book, obviously, is this is the 20-year anniversary of the worship record, the first vertical record that I did. 
it was released on 9-11. Wow. And I thought it would be the least successful record of my career, and it's the biggest record I've ever done. In terms of sales, I don't know. It just, I think it ended up being a healing record for our nation on some level, Mm -hmm. but it somehow made its way around the globe. When I traveled to all these places, like Zimbabwe, South Africa, Seoul, South Korea, you name it, Poland, they all know the worship record. Hmm. And I go in to breathe, and I like, wow. People just go, really? It's like, I have to, almost have to play every song from that record, <laughs> especially in other countries, you know. So we are reimagining that record, my crazy idea, and we're going to re-record that record this summer on July 12th in Nashville with a 68-piece orchestra. Alive? Like I could come? Yes. I mean, not me personally, but like people no. can come to this? July 12th at Allen Arena. We're going to be making some noise about it real soon. No drums, no guitars. Oh. Just big, huge symphony playing all of those songs from the worship. And I didn't know if it worked. You know, I thought it was kind of my crazy idea because I kind of got inspired because Peter Gabriel did it, uh-huh. you know, with some of his big songs. And, and I went back and listened to some of that stuff that he did. I went, wow, Red Rain. Red rain, all this big work yeah. stuff. And the orc is creating percussion with their bows. And right. Going, wait a minute. Wait a minute. This really You don't even work. miss the drums. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. So it's by what I've envisioned and what I'm working with my orchestrator, my ranger, I think we might be onto something that's pretty epic. And I'm excited about that. And that's a big one. That's a lot to think about. And, oh, yeah. And it's winding down because what is, what's today? Yeah, 20th or so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right so, around the corner. Yeah. So when you're doing something like that, these are your songs. This is your baby. And you're having someone rearrange it. Do you go into a studio to hear what they've done? I'm sure there's a lot of rehearsing. But do you go into a studio to hear what they've done and either give it the yes or the no yes. on how you like yeah. it? Okay. Yeah. So I create a template. So I have a, what I use is I, I'm on my computer in the other room. I'm in my studio here. So the mm-hmm. other rooms where I write and I pull up a, what we call a program called Logic and I write on Logic. And so I have a plethora, I love that word plethora, uh-huh. of thousands and thousands of sounds of pianos and drums and timpanis right. and you name it, it's all on there. So I've created a template of just orchestra, violin, okay. violas, cellos, you name it. And so I'll create what I'm hearing in my head. Then I give that file to my arranger. And uh, matter of fact, when I finish this interview, I'm on my way over to see David Hamilton. And what he'll do, he doesn't have time to do it, but he's doing it for me. He'll mock it up. So he's okay. created what he's created what he heard that I do, and he's embellished it. And then he's mocking it up with orchestra on his computer to let me hear what we think this is going to sound like. But then when the orchestration is done, it's going to sound like a hundred times better than the mock-up because it's with oh, a real yes. orchestra. Yeah. Know? So I'll approve probably two, three, four things today. And so I can release him to do the rest of the songs. So. That sounds amazing. So y'all record it live and then yep. release it sometime. September 10th at midnight. Oh, day- you already know. I love it. Oh, September- right. But the night before September 11th, which would be September 10 years. September 11th, Friday Thank night. Okay. Are songs released like books are? They usually come out on the same day. Is it a Tuesday well, release? Do, it used to be Tuesday, and now okay. they're doing them on Friday now for some That's reason. That's interesting. Yeah. That's a little behind the scenes, people. Most books are released on Tuesdays. Right. My book was released on Tuesday. I don't Tuesday. even know where that comes from, and here I am writing books, but I have no idea. I don't know. Somebody made that rule. Somebody made it, and we all said, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
All right, Michael, I'd love to hear. What are you loving these days? What are you reading? You know what? I'm not a big reader, and I hate that's the one thing that I don't like about myself because my wife, Debbie, reads all the time. She <laughs> reads all the time. I've been listening to some audiobooks, but I have a book that I'm really, really trying to read. I've only read the first two chapters. It's Andrew Murray, and it's his book on prayer. And he has good stuff. I'm just trying to get really good at that, yeah. you know, because I don't feel like I've ever been really good at it. And what I've read so far is like, whoa, this is amazing. It's a and, spiritual discipline that I uh, too work on. Yeah. yeah. So that's the well, audiobooks the, count too. Don't ever okay. let anyone tell you that. All right. So, audiobook. Yes. Audiobooks are good. And then I like everything. I love everything that Brennan Manning has ever written. So, Abba's Child, The Realist Longing of God, I think that's it. And then obviously, The Ragamuffin Gospel. Ragamuffin Gospel. One of my favorite mm-hmm. books of all time. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, Michael, thanks for coming on the happy hour. I've had fun. Because it's the happy hour. It's the happy hour. (laughs) Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Congrats on your new book and congrats on this fun 68 piece orchestra. Could be 70. We're going to see how many there's going to be. I think we can do 70. Okay. Let's do 70. Is it just you singing or do you have any guests coming on or is it just you? We have some guests. But you can't tell us, can you? We'll announce those in the next seven days. Okay. Well, by the time this airs, we'll announce it. So we'll let you know where to go find it out. But thank you so much for coming on. You're welcome. Thank you. Friends, what a great conversation that was with him. I loved hearing some of the behind the scenes to some of his favorite songs that he's recorded. If you're like me, you grew up on the 90s on some Michael W. Smith. And I do love that my daughter was listening to his song away. Guys, if you're looking for a great gift, check out his book, The Way of the Father. Don't forget, sign up for the Marriage Challenge. Go to AaronAndJamieIvy.com. Guys, next week, come back and I sit down with Dane Ortland. He has a new book coming out that, hands down, will be one of my top books of 2021 that I read. So you're going to enjoy this conversation. Today's show is edited by the team at Podshaper. The music for the show is written by Matt Graham. Show notes are written by Abby Castell. The whole thing's produced by Lindsay Sweeney. I'm your host, Jamie Ivey. I am so grateful that you showed up today and listened to the conversation that I had with Michael W. Smith. Guys, have a happy hour with a friend, and I'll see you back here next week with Dane Ortland. Dane Ortland.